there's something about the human condition that makes us want two things. We want to be noticed by powerful people, and we want to be able to influence them. And I think this is why we have this just crazy celebrity culture. Some people go on vacation or even move to Hollywood, Los Angeles area to just for a glimpse of their favorite movie star or their favorite movie director. And others move to Hollywood to become the next great movie star or movie director. And I have a, a small taste of this uh, this experience, not because of Hollywood, but because I'm uh, a nerd and, and, uh, and look up to preachers um, and theologians. Kara and I, whenever we were newly married, we probably married for maybe a year. We went uh, down to Alabama to a, to a conference, and uh, and we were just sitting. And it, you know, it was a big, you know, uh, a, a thousand uh, seat church sanctuary, and we were just sitting there, kind of waiting for the next session to start. And lo and behold, the guy who puts it on, who's the main speaker, uh, was basically trying to avoid people because he'd just been mobbed all day. And so he came around the side and. He, and he was walking down the aisle past us and he looked at us and he turned around and he sat right down in front of us to, to talk to us. And I had been around in his circle a little bit. I'd been to the previous couple conferences when it was a smaller conference. And so he must have recognized me. And, uh, and, and I was just like dumbfounded. I was like, I mean, I lost my tongue. I, I couldn't talk. I have a problem with that anyway. But it was just like, I, I didn't know what to say. And, uh, and I think... It was probably he was just gracious and just basically said hello and realized that I couldn't talk to him. And so he, he got up and, and went on his way. But we, we, we want to like bask in the presence of those we respect, of those whom we think are, are powerful. And yet there's, there's this other part of us that I completely was inept. But we actually want to influence that. We, we want to feel like we can make a change, and a, a significant change, a change that matters. Um, and so we have that ability through prayer. The, the activity of prayer, we get to not just talk to, but we get to commune with the God of the universe who holds everything in his hands. He's numbered the billions, trillions of, of stars. He is the one who is guiding history. And he has given us the privilege of prayer. The privilege of prayer. So, I have three main points for us this morning as we just talk about prayer as a means of growth. A means of growth. We're talking about ways that we can grow in our Christian life. We've recognized that, that we grow in Christ through faith, that it's the work of the Spirit working within us, but we also recognize that there are activities we participate in to grow in Christ. And so this morning is, is prayer. First, we're going to talk about the basis of all prayer. What is the basis of all prayer? The basis of all prayer is the sonship of Jesus. We think about how we can even approach this God of the universe, this most powerful being in the universe who created all things with just the power, his sheer will, his word created everything. We recognize that we're a sinful people. 
we are wretched. We have rebelled against him. How then can we even approach him? This holy and perfect Lord. The answer, of course, is found in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this has been a thread that runs through our understanding of how we grow in Christ. We've uh, we've talked about the word and how we initially come to Christ through his word, and his word sustains us. The same is also true in prayer. We come to God in prayer through Christ, and, and we continue on. It's not like, okay, now I'm in Christ, so I can come to God on my own terms. No, we still, every time we come to the Lord, we come to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. So we talk about Jesus as the mediator. He mediates between us and God. He stands as the one between us who, it's not just, it's not like God is not on our side and Jesus is on our side. It's that God's wrath had to be uh, acquitted. His wrath had to be um, satisfied. And in his love, he sent Jesus to absorb his wrath. And now he stands as the mediator between us and God. Once again, not because God is against us and Jesus has to say, hey, remember I died for them, don't hurt them. It's He stands as a reminder to the Father of both his wrath and his love for us and how in Christ they met and were both satisfied. We find this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. The writer of Hebrews says, Since then we have a great high priest. The the priest was somebody who stood on behalf of the people. So uh, there's these two kind of offices in, in the Old Testament, the prophet and the priest. The prophet was the one who spoke to the people on behalf of God. God gave the prophet a word, and he declared it to the people. And the priest was the one who stood in place of the people and spoke to God on behalf of the people. He offered the sacrifices on behalf of the people. He pled to God on behalf of the people. And and the writer of Hebrews is saying, now the great high priest is now Christ. He is the one who stands on our behalf and declares uh, to God his substitution for us. So let let, let me begin this passage again. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. Jesus Christ came and he became human. The God of the universe took on flesh, the feelings, what it means to be man, the the temptations that come with that. And yet he was without sin. And he did that so we can relate to him. That should give us confidence as we draw near to God. When we go to the throne of God, when we open up in prayer and we direct our mind and our attention and our affections on God and who he is and our need of him, we do so with confidence because of our great high priest. 
And then at the end it says that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Why do we pray? We pray because of our need. We pray because we need to commune with our Creator. We need to know Him more. We, need, we are a needy people. We will never be more than that. We will never be more than, than people of need. And that glorifies God because He loves to pour out His resources upon us. He loves to give us mercy and grace in our time of need. So, so when are we most needy? Well, I think there's a, a classic old hymn that speaks unto this. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. If we ever get to a point where we think we are not in need, that shows that we are deluded. It shows that we do not understand our state. It shows us that we are deceived because every breath we need comes from God. We are in constant need of Him. Every hour, I need Thee, Lord. I want to give you three reasons to have confidence so that you can draw near to God in your prayers. Number one, as I mentioned, Jesus is our high priest. I'm not going to rehash that. Jesus is our high priest. He's standing there as the one who gave his own life and sacrifice to God so that we can draw near to God. So I will add to that any, any praying, any drawing near to God that, is not, that does not take place through the sacrifice of Christ um, is an abomination. It is arrogant. It is prideful. And ultimately, it is false. Because the only way to the Father is through Christ. Because of what he's done on the cross. Number two, the acceptance that Jesus has with the Father is the acceptance we now have with the Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, though he knew no sin. So that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the essence of justification by faith alone. Being declared right because of faith. Our faith in Christ makes us right with God because God laid our sins upon Christ. Christ had no sin. Remember, we just read that in Hebrews. He experienced the temptations of man yet without sin. And so God took our sin, placed it upon Christ, and punished our sin in Christ on the cross. In Christ's obedient death, God fulfills and vindicates his righteousness, Christ's righteousness, and that he gives that righteousness to us. He credits it to us. He imputes it to us. So our sin is on Christ, and Christ's righteousness is on us. It's a great exchange that took place on the cross. So the Father now sees us. He accepts us. He loves us as he sees, accepts, and loves Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. So if God accepts us as he does Jesus, then he will hear our prayers as he hears the prayers of Jesus.
Did you realize you had that kind of relationship with God? Did you realize that your faith in Christ puts you in a position that God views you and sees you as righteous like he sees Christ? That should, that should cause us to run to God in prayer. You mean God doesn't see these evil thoughts that I had? He sees you as Christ. Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith in Christ that his sacrifice with his blood would cover you and cover your soul and you would get forgiveness? Then yes, I'm telling you that God sees you as Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness on you. That's the illustration that we have in Scripture where it talks about the white robe of righteousness that we will receive in heaven. That white robe of righteousness stands for the purity of Christ. When we get to heaven, God is going to take that righteousness and he's going to just cloak us in it. He sees us as he sees Christ. Number three, Jesus constantly and continually intercedes for us. This goes hand in hand with him being our high priest. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. What does it mean to intercede? It means I'm, when I pray for people up here on Sunday mornings, I'm interceding for them. I'm pleading to God on their behalf. I'm asking God that he would bless, that he would heal, that he would strengthen, that he would encourage on behalf of people. Jesus Christ is at the throne of God interceding for you and I, for his church. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the writer says, he holds his priesthood permanently, meaning Christ will be there indefinitely, forever. He will be our high priest forever at the throne of God because he lives forever. Consequently, what's the conclusion we're to draw from that? He is able to save to the uttermost. It's not as if Jesus is going to leave his post sometime. Jesus is there forever. Those who draw near to God through him. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is an eternal being. And at the cross, he performed the great, the great miracle of salvation. So that from eternity future, he will be standing at the throne of God to intercede for his people. So when we go to the throne of God in prayer, we're standing beside Jesus who is interceding for us as well. And this is why Jesus tells us to pray in his name. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, we, I don't know exactly what we think about that. It seems that we think praying in Jesus' name is just tacking on the phrase, in Jesus' name I pray, at the end of every, of every prayer. That's not a bad thing. 
But just because you tack on in Jesus' name I pray at the end of the prayer, that doesn't mean you're actually praying in Jesus' name. You can know whether someone's praying in Jesus' name by the content of their prayer, not by the way they close their prayer. I have just quickly four, four filters, I guess you could call them, for praying in Jesus' name. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying for God's glory and not ours. So if our prayers are based upon me receiving glory, me receiving fame, me receiving respect, me becoming a more prominent individual, that's a prayer for Ryan's glory and not for God's glory. Another filter is we should let Jesus' worth shape our prayers. Jesus is infinitely worthy. I am not. So my prayers should be oriented around the worth of Jesus and not man. Three, we should base our prayers upon what Jesus has done on the cross through his payment. When we are praying in Jesus' name, it means that we are coming to the throne of God based upon the payment that it cost me to get there, which was the very life, breath, and blood of Jesus. So does my prayer honor that? Or does my prayer belittle that? The filter of praying through Jesus' name is praying according to God's wisdom, submitting our will to God's will. So in a sense, all of our prayers should end with not my will, but your will be done. I'm not saying you have to add that to the end of every prayer, but I'm saying that that should be the attitude of our prayers. Lord, we desperately want so-and-so to be healed. We, we desperately want to see so-and-so come to salvation. We desperately want to see the church grow. We desperately want to see these things, and we ask you to do them, but not our will, your will. To Jesus' disciples, it made no sense for Jesus to be sacrificed, for Jesus to be beaten, to be bloodied, to be crucified on a cross like a criminal or a, a, a treasonous snake. But it wasn't their will. It was God's will. We must submit our will to God's will, even in our prayers, especially in our prayers. So the sonship of Jesus is the basis or foundation for all praying. Number two, the source of all prayer. The source of all prayer is the fatherhood of God. And this can be a little tricky because because of our depraved, sick, sinful, broken, evil world. When you talk about God being a father, some people just want to run out the door. Because they say, if God is anything like my father, I want nothing to do with him. But fatherhood is all about God's goodness. And we see that in Luke chapter 11. Jesus, talking about praying to God and the goodness of God, says this. Which of you fathers, if your son asked you for a fish... Would you give him a snake instead? Or if he asked you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? 
The answer is obviously no, absolutely not. That would be evil. That would be wicked. So then he goes, okay, if, if you then, though you are evil, though you are sinful, though you are broken, know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask you, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is trying to get us to think about the goodness of God as we approach him, as we pray to him, as we, as we ask him of things. The primary relationship that defines our relationship with God is that of a child and a father. It's not for nothing that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he, said, he began with our father in heaven. When we are approaching God, yes, we're approaching the creator of the universe. Yes, we are approaching the holiest of holy beings. Yes, we are approaching a God who is um, infinite. He is everywhere. He is all-knowing. But we have the privilege of going to him as father. He is our king. He is our Lord. But he wants us to call him dad. You know, I didn't realize the depth of this until I had children of my own. You know, before I had kids, this was just kind of pie in the sky. I mean, obviously I could relate to it. I had a dad. My father was a great father. And, and so I could, I could imagine having children of my own. But whenever I had them, I hold them in my arms, as I watch them grow, as I play with them, as I just marvel at, 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 at who they are and what they are, and, and I just, I can't believe the fulfillment, the satisfaction, and the love I feel for them. It's just a taste of how God feels for his children. I can't imagine... I can't, ima- I can't ever imagine them, them asking me for something that's good for something that's true, and me being like, no. No, I'm not going to give you that. Now, there are lots of times they ask me for things that aren't going to be good for them, that's not going to help them, and I have to say, no, it's like, and, and, I, and I actually want, like, I want to make you happy, I, I, I want you to enjoy life, and I, and, I, and I want you to be satisfied, but this is not good for you. They don't understand that. All right? The two-year-old screams bloody murder. But it's actually out of love that I tell them no. And when they ask for something good, I'm delighted to give it to them. I'm delighted that they've actually asked for something that's good for them. And I'm delighted to fulfill and satisfy their asking. God loves us more than anyone else. Meaning, he loves me more than anyone else loves me. He loves me more than my parents love me. He loves me more than my wife loves me. He loves me more than anybody else loves me. And he loves you more and better and differently than anybody else has ever loved you. And he is a good God that wants to give us good things. And the question is, are we going to ask him for those good things? 
He gives us direct access to himself in prayer in the name of Jesus. Finally, the enabling of all prayer. Jesus' sonship is the basis. The goodness or the fatherhood of God is the source. It's his goodness that we draw out in prayer, that he pours out his blessings upon us. But the enabling of all prayer is the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot come to God in prayer outside of faith in Christ. But the Holy Spirit enables our praying. Just a few points here and then we'll, be, then we'll conclude. The first way that the Holy Spirit empowers us to pray is by drawing us to a saving faith in Christ. We, don't often, we often skip over the fact that it's the Holy Spirit who brought us to, the, to faith in Christ in the first place. In John 3, 5, and 6, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that makes us alive spiritually. It's his work that produces this salvation that stirs our hearts to want to know God, to want to follow God, to want to trust God. That is a spiritual activity that is not based upon me. That is the work of another in my heart and in my mind. John 6, 63 uh, echoes this. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Me in and of myself, I fail. I want the things of this world. I get distracted. It is the Holy Spirit who gives me spiritual life. It is the Spirit that draws us, that woos us, that sets us on the path of salvation. So not only is the Holy Spirit enabling us in prayer because he's drawn us to Christ in the first place, the Holy Spirit also empowers us to pray uh, in that he assures us of our adoption in Christ. Let me read you a couple passages. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I don't know how many of you have, have doubted your salvation, have questioned whether or not you really do belong to God, whether or not you really are his child. But when I get to those places, let me say that differently. When I get to those places, because I've been there many times, the only thing I can do is turn my thoughts to God and plead with him, show me that I'm yours. And how he does that is the internal witness of the Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit to assure us that we belong to him. And he often uses the word of God to do so, which we've talked about in previous weeks. Another passage is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He says, And you also, when you were included in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. 
Now, footnote, did you recognize that Paul here is talking about salvation in a future tense again? As we talked about last week. Salvation is not just the one time. Salvation is, is a path that we walk in faith that we don't receive the full benefits of until we reach glory in heaven. But he says the Holy Spirit is as a seal. He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit assures us of our adoption in Christ, that we really do belong to him, and it is in Christ that we have the confidence to go to the Lord in prayer. And finally, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before the Father. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is uh, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We have both the Son of God and the Spirit of God interceding for us. So we come to the throne of God based upon the redemptive, sacrificial work of Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we join with them in prayer to God. It's like you're never praying alone. You always have the Spirit and the Son praying with you to the Father. We can take great courage that we have in the fact that we have access to God the Father through the mediation of the Son and the God, the Holy Spirit of God draws us to faith in Christ and assures us we are His, we're adopted, we do belong to the family of God and, and He helps us in our weaknesses in prayer. I think Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 is a good summary of how praying and, and, and the triune, the, the role of the, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit play in prayer. Paul writes, and because you are sons, you've been adopted, because God views you as sons as he does as Christ, because you belong to Christ, who is the Son of God, you are now sons and daughters. God has sent the Spirit of his Son, the Holy Spirit of God, into your hearts. So what does that produce? The fact that you've been adopted, the fact that God has given you his spirit, what does that produce in you? It causes us to cry, Abba, Father. How do you know the children of God? They call God their Father. So as, as you pray, know that you are praying to your Father. He is king of the universe. He is master over all. And he is your father. And he has equipped you to pray to him. He has given you helpers to pray to him. And he's given you a framework to pray to him. He's taught us how to pray in scripture. 
So believe it or not, this is going to conclude our series on how to grow in Christ. Not because there's not more to say, but because we've been here for a couple months, and I think it's time to move on. We probably will go back to it maybe in a few more months to take a break from a different series. But to be honest with you, the intake of God's word and praying are the two pillars to growth in Christ. And when you put them together, when you use God's word to pray to him, it can really launch you forward in your walk with Christ. It can, it can take you to a place where you are actually communicating back and forth with God. So you, you read God's word and you think, how does that influence my prayer life? And you pray based on that. And I've got good news. There's no wrong way to do that. Because God wants you to talk to him. Prayer is just communicating with God. So it is my prayer this morning that not just this morning's message, but that the previous messages have encouraged your hearts, have given you a path forward to, to grow in your walk with Christ. Um, let, me, let me pray and we'll, we'll conclude. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you how you teach us through it. I thank you how you fill our hearts. But I thank you for giving the gift of Jesus Christ to die for our sins, to, to redeem us, to adopt us as your sons, that we can be in him. And I thank you for giving us your spirit, Lord, the guarantee and the seal of our inheritance. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and use these messages to encourage our hearts to walk forward in our faith with Christ. Lord, that we may be more obedient. Lord, that we may be more knowledgeable. Lord, and that we may be um, more, uh, have more love and affection for you in our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would do all these things and more. Lord, for your glory and the good of your people. Amen. I would invite you to respond this morning however you feel led, whether it's sitting and, and praying, whether it's standing and singing and worship or whether it's just coming forward um, and talking to me. You respond however God's calling you.